Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We're uh, two weeks into the new year. Who, who is still sticking to their resolution besides Connie? She raised her hand. In the fr- you are. Sheila is. Anyone else? Okay. Very good. Who has dropped the res- resolution a bit? All right. I, l- I love the honesty kind of, I'll just, only the pastor can see. Um, someone told me last week, they said, did you know that resolutions were originally intended only for the first two weeks of January? Well, I, uh, I called something on that and Googled it, and that's not true. They tried to pull one on me. Resolutions are, are a good thing, and they are hard, and that's not necessarily a bad thing that they're hard. If you are keeping it good for you, keep going. You have a long way to go. If you have dropped it, then I, we believe in redemption here, don't we? So you can pick it back up and keep going. It's no longer Christmas. Did you know that? It ended on Wednesday. That was the last day. That was when the drummers had drummed, the lords had leapt. That's when all 23 birds had either swam or laid or been given as gifts or called or whatever they do. We have exited the season of Christmas, and Thursday began Epiphany. Epiphany. Epiphany is the season that we celebrate when Christ, God's salvation in Christ, was made manifest to the non-Jewish people. That's people we call Gentiles. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Yep. We like Epiphany. And we usually tell that story talking about three gifts, which is why we sometimes refer to three people who gave the gifts. And those gifts were very kingly. And so sometimes we refer to these astrologers or astronomers or whatever they were as kings, but we don't know much about them. They just kind of showed up from the East, gave gifts to Christ. They were not Jewish, but they recognized what had happened. And so we usually celebrate that on Epiphany, which is, was Thursday, and the Sunday following Epiphany, we remember Christ's baptism. So that's what we're going to do, is remember Christ's baptism, and if you have been baptized, remember our own, and if you have not, then learn a little more about what it is, and perhaps feel the Spirit pulling you to enter the waters as well. And the point of all this season is to celebrate that Jesus Christ, although coming from the Jewish people, is a gift for all. He was a Jewish man, the Jewish God in flesh, the hoped-for messianic king of God's reign on earth, but came to the whole earth. Amen? This is good news. Can I get a hallelujah? My fellow Gentiles, hallelujah indeed. The promise was made to Abraham, lived out by Israel for thousands of years until fulfilled in Christ, and so we're going to remember Christ's baptism. All four Gospels tell of Christ's baptism, but they all do differently. And Luke, who we're focused on this year, does a little fascinating thing with the baptism. We get half a verse talking about Jesus' baptism, just kind of casually drops it in there, you'll hear in a moment, and then focuses on a genealogy that comes right after the baptism. It's not the the genealogy, you know, the list of so-and-so, and their son, so-and-so, and their son, so-and-so, and because it was long ago, so they just kept track of the men, and their son, so-and-so, on and on and on and on. You know, the exciting part of the Bible that you come to and you say, yes, a genealogy, I get to read this. Well, there's one here, and Matthew's is at the beginning, and it talks about Jesus' bloodline. Luke puts it after the baptism. 
So we're going to hear from today's passage, and part of which you might remember from one of the Advent weeks, and then we'll consider what the gospel writer is doing with the way that they have presented Christ's baptism. So let's hear from Luke 3. The people were filled with expectation, and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn. But he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. When everyone was being baptized, Jesus was also baptized. While he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven. You are my son, whom I dearly love. In you, I find happiness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. So again, it's kind of casually mentioned. Jesus was baptized along with everybody. Did you hear it? Nowhere near the detail given in Matthew and Mark. And there, there's a conversation between John and Jesus, and one of them, John tries to talk Jesus out of getting baptized by him, and Jesus has to talk him into it. What we hear in this one is Jesus was baptized with the people and while he was praying, and that's kind of the extent. The baptism is not complete without the prayer, it seems, because it's at that time in the prayer that the Spirit descended upon Jesus. And Luke, not just like a dove, like in Matthew and Mark, but as a dove in bodily form. Again, mysterious, lots of questions. This detail is given in all four Gospels, the dissension of the Spirit. And it's telling of the ripping open of the heavens. This idea is that God's realm and earth become joined in some way, become overlapped and interconnected, Heaven present in the earth, where the barrier was, it's been torn open and invaded. Now, this used to be what happened in the temple, how they understood God's presence coming into the temple that they made, then God's presence would come, and in the temple, carefully prepared and purified, that's where God's presence would be, and you would want to come near the temple to be near the presence of God in the overlapping and intersecting of heaven and earth. And so to tell the story that this presence comes not into a building but upon a person is quite novel, quite powerful. All four tell the story. And then in the scene, again, all four Gospels, we hear those words from above. You are my son, whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. This scene marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, he will not announce the good news just yet through teaching and healing, but this is the starting point of all to come. And right after this scene, this starting point is a genealogy. Luke is not the same as Matthew's, as much as we might argue. Otherwise, it's not. And they're presented completely different. In fact, opposite. Because Matthew starts with Abraham, the father, the great father of the Jewish people, and then traces the lineage from Abraham through David, through the exile, and then comes to Jesus. 
Luke works backwards, starts with Jesus and goes backwards through the exile, through David, through Abraham, and keeps going all the way back to the very first human who is regarded as a son of God. All that to say Jesus is a son of God through this genealogy in this strange way, through humanity, because the lineage connects Jesus all the way back to the original child of God, which means all the humans in between are also connected in that same way. We are all children of God, it seems. This genealogy includes a great many people who did great things and some people who did some not some great things. So we can relate to that as well. Amen? Going all the way back to the first human being also reminds us of humans' sinful nature. Jesus enters into that sinful nature in the flesh. Now, he was sinless, but, but he entered into a world so corrupt with sin that every decision Jesus might make, even the best decisions, are going to have some negative consequence, are going to have some impact created by the corruption of the world. So let me explain it this way, a way that's a little easier for us to understand. How many of you shop for clothes? All right, how many of you shop for coffee? Bananas. All right, everybody's pretty much covered with that. Everyone's probably pretty much covered with clothes, and that's a good thing. But those other two are also things we like. Who buys gasoline for their car or their snowblower? Who has an electric car or snowblower? All right, so let's talk about this. We talked a few weeks ago about clothes, and that almost none of us have clothes that are made in America. Maybe some do, and they were probably a little pricier. Or maybe not as high a quality as other clothes you could find made elsewhere, but for cheaper. Isn't that odd? We know that people that made cheaper clothing and many of our tags, which feature a country across an ocean, that people that make the clothes aren't paid well. They're not paid well so that they can get them here cheaper and sell them to us cheaper. So what about coffee? Coffee is the same way. You ever get that cheap canister of coffee at the grocery store? You ever wonder why it's made its way to the shelf from a truck, maybe from a ship, across borders, and ended up in your cup? Well, there are people who pick the beans, who pick them and gather them and bring them and roast them and package them and ship them and eventually make their ways onto your shelf and into your cup, into your veins where all glory occurs every morning. You want to know why Starbucks is so expensive? Because they pay the person who picks it well. They pay them what they, what they deserve. They pay the person who packages it, roasts it, sends it, ships it, shelves it. And even a barista at Starbucks who works part-time has benefits. You know this? So you're paying for a cup of coffee that may be $5, or maybe it's more by now. You're paying to make sure that everyone along the way has been treated properly. It's called fair trade. Starbucks is kind of amazing, even if you don't like their coffee. Now, we buy the church's coffee through Grounds for Change. So we aren't buying the Folgers anymore. We're buying these big five-pound bags from a website that makes sure that everyone along the pathway is treated with integrity and dignity, honored as human beings worthy of their work. They even decaffeinate the beans without chemicals. So they even take care of us. Isn't that pretty cool? You know how other decaf's made? Go look it up. You won't drink it anymore. Is it worth paying a little more for the coffee that we know got to us responsibly? I think so. Bananas. They should be 10 times more expensive than they are. 
but they're not for a lot of the same reasons. If we paid fair price for everything, we would one, be paying a lot, and two, we wouldn't have near as much. That's just the system we're in. If you buy gasoline for your car, you're polluting. Me too. If you get an electric car, it causes a lot of pollution to make the electric car too. You really can't win, can you? You have to have a car to have a job to go and buy the things you want to buy if you want to buy them with fair trade. And so you really are just destined to create problems no matter what you do. This is our world, corrupted by sin. Some of the ways we talk about it. Our goal is to maybe do more positives than negatives. And if you can get a two-to-one, positive to negative, your net positive ends up being all right. You know, if we can come out on the positive, that's great. Do our part. But even the best living. Have you ever seen uh, The Good Place? Anyone seen The Good Place? All right, there's a character in there who does everything right, but still you could calculate why all the things they do aren't necessarily all good. Jesus was born into this too, in flesh and blood. So one way to read the genealogy is to, is to ask the question, why put it right after the baptism? And why did Jesus need baptized anyway? A lot of debate on that last one. Maybe the gospel writer knew that while Jesus had no sinful intent in his heart, Anything he did in a corrupted world was going to lead to ongoing corruption. It's a broken system. It's broken people. There are going to be negative consequences, even with the best of intentions. Innocent actions can still produce bad things. Amen? He is a descendant of God, but he's also a descendant of humanity, which is why we have two candles, and one is hanging on for dear life back there. Divinity, humanity. Innocent, good, right, brokenness, overlapped, interlocked together. So he enters the waters right along with all of us, right along with everyone else, because he had to. Because he needs to be ready for what God's going to do through him, the same as us. He is washed, then the Spirit descends in his prayer. We hear about the genealogy, and then the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness to face his inner demons. And there we see him make the right choices. Given the opportunity to be corrupted, he says no, emphatically. So we see his sinlessness. But he's come to lead us in our lives, in our world, into a cleansing, into an entirely different way. So we don't want to forget the importance of Jesus coming at all, to come into our corruption and in our corrupted flesh and participate in our system the best way he could. Don't forget the importance of him coming into the waters of the Jordan along with us. Don't forget the Spirit's presence upon him. Don't forget that he entered the wilderness to first be in the company of wild animals before being tended by angels. His transition from wildness to holiness and all of his humanity is unique and mysterious and leaves me with a lot of questions. And Jesus, don't forget, was praying as the Spirit came upon him. The disciples learned a very serious practice of prayer through Jesus' example, and hopefully we do too. He was always praying, going off on his own. In my mind, I think sometimes he's like, these people are driving me crazy, and if I don't take some time away, I'm going to do something I don't want to do. You ever get that way? He was always praying and centering on the mission, keeping his eyes focused amidst the corruption. He was constantly receiving strength and guidance from God. He faced his demons head on, a lesson we could all learn. And then he went out to 
all the people he came to be with, the sick, the addicted, the possessed, the downtrodden, those who were stomped on by broken systems. He went to them. Thank God he did. That's where he met me. Amen? We remember our own baptism today. We remember that we come from the same chaotic waters of humanity. We remember that in receiving God's grace unearned, that we did choose to enter the waters. We want to come along with Christ on this journey, to be in a life of prayerful consideration of all of our actions, the consequences of what we do and say, for good or bad, to follow the Spirit's leading to face our inner demons, to devote ourselves to the work of the church, the body of Christ, as we give of ourselves in United Methodist baptism, to give our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. We remember that the Holy Spirit descended upon us, that the very presence of God is within us. Heaven and earth are interconnected and made us into temples. We bring the presence of God out into the world around us. We smuggle it. People don't even know it. Isn't that pretty cool? We are to go then to the sick, the addicted, the possessed, the downtrodden. We are to go to all those who have been stomped by a broken world. Are you with me? And remember, too, above all things, in the midst of this real world of chaos and consequence, remember the words spoken at baptism. You are God's daughter. You are God's son. You are dearly loved. In you, God finds happiness. Hear those words again. You are God's daughter. You are God's son. You are dearly loved. And in you, God finds happiness. Do you accept this identity as dearly loved and a pleasing child of God? And if you have in baptism, that's what we're here to remember. Let us be in a constant state of prayer as a baptized follower of Jesus Christ. Let us remember in everything we do, in all of our thoughts, and everything we might think about ourselves first, that we are dearly loved. We have been equipped by God with the Holy Spirit upon us so that we may enter those chaotic waters. So let's go to the lost and the drowning, that we may be for them what Christ was for us, that somehow through us, Christ can reach them too. Let us bring the good news of new birth and identity to them where they are. And so we'll have that opportunity to recommit ourselves in that way. And so I'll invite you as we sing a song, which the words will not be on the screen, so you just have to listen. But reflect upon the words. Reflect upon your baptism or reflect upon the baptism that maybe you want to occur. And we can talk about that after service if you would like to. All of you are invited to come and take a stone and they're printed since. I'll have more next week. And just stare at it and remember that like these stones, they've come through the water. They've been smoothed. The roughness is being washed away. And they've received a new identity of who they are and by whom and through whom they are washed. And so prayerfully consider, enjoy the music, and remember or 
reflect upon baptism. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.